Welcome to this episode of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast. As we do every couple of weeks or so, I have for you a sample episode of the extra content that the members get. This is where the team behind the show gets together and has an in-depth conversation on a variety of topics and generally has a hell of a lot of fun in the process. And genuinely, they are so good, I want to share them with everyone. Plus, I am obviously hoping to entice you to sign up for a membership. But for now, just sit back and enjoy a taste of what that membership will buy you. actually think you could probably pick any movement and find this trend um so jay and i actually talked about uh like gay festivals parades and how they've been completely taken over by corporations who actually have no interest in advocating on behalf of lgbtqa people but want to be seen as woke want to be seen as accepting but in reality you're not promoting any fundamental change. And honestly, all of this came after you'd already seen great strides. The public opinion had already turned. Yeah, they're the ones who are actually virtue signaling. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Conservatives accuse the left of virtue signaling. And what that means is you don't really believe what you're saying. You're just pretending because you think it sounds good. (laughs) Like, no, the left like actually believes in this stuff. The corporations, they're the ones who are virtue signaling. And I think another part of the reason, like with the straws thing, like we don't want to do the big change. A, a part of that is is because of the media that we've consumed that have, have taught us that there will be some super powerful person that will come and save the day. If you are good and, and nice, something good is going to happen to you. None of these stories involve mass organizations of normal human beings without superpowers gathering together to do something to make something better. It's always some special person that's going to come along and save the day. That is what we're taught, whether we want to be taught that or not, through all this media. And that is everything that Disney has gobbled up over the years. All the Marvel franchises are basically that. Hey, maybe there's a a woman or a person of color in the superhero pantheon, but still, they're part of the special group that's going to do for the rest of us, all us plebes, and we just need to let them do what they need to do and leave them alone and they'll solve it for us. So Mm -hmm. it is difficult to form movements because a lot of people don't realize what it takes to be in a movement. It takes work. People don't want democracy for real in their workplace because then they'd have to think about it and be involved. And being involved is hard when, why isn't someone coming to save the day? Like, I, I don't know that this is necessarily like a part of a business model or plan or anything, but it does seem like, we have internalized these messages and that's how our system functions. Yeah, and we love a savior. That's, that's yeah. probably goes well, back much farther back than. And Dion, are, are you actually wearing your Batman shirt right now? I'm actually wearing a Nicholas Cage shirt today. <laughs> but it's neither here nor there. I just feel like you have a, a, a more complicated relationship oh. with the superhero universe than you're letting on. Oh, it's, it's the most complicated. Like I, I tell you what, I'll, take a picture off the wall here it's a picture of me and my daughter she's wearing batgirl yeah she's wearing a batgirl while i'm wearing my batman shirt like 
I I love I I love those stories. They they are entertaining. They're a lot of fun. Like, but you know, like if you scratch the surface of, especially specifically Batman, it gets fascist really quick. <laughs> you know, it really does. But that doesn't mean I don't know. But there's also some pretty cool stuff in it. I, yeah, I, I I love those stories. Like Disney, not so much. Not my bag, but I. Definitely not going to judge anybody for still liking Disney or want to uh, really just waiting online for 17 hours to ride a silly ride where animatronic puppets talk to you. <laughs> Sounds great to some people, not to me. But but I do understand that that wanting to escape and live in a different kind of world for a little while. Well, so I have two things. One, what I'll say is that we've created a society where people don't want to participate in democracy because of everything else. So because your labor is being utilized elsewhere, you don't have the time and energy to spend it participating in democracy. So that would be my pushback. The other, I'm going to have to go in on superheroes because it is so (laughs) weird to me that I do find enjoyment from them. Because look at Batman. You have this rich guy who goes out and like stops crime, but doesn't donate his money to like support causes that would actually reduce crime. Right? <laughs> uh, the Green Arrow, same thing. He goes after these like big corporations. But as I'm watching it, like or not corporations, but individuals who are extremely wealthy, and as I'm watching it, I can't help but think like someone wrote this, and there's an entire company that's making a huge amount of money on me getting enjoyment from someone taking down rich people. How weird is that? Oh, yeah. Oh, it goes deep. Yeah. It's a really weird uh, relationship that we have and like why we love it. I'm not sure. I do watch superhero movies. I'm not as into it as Dion is, but I find enjoyment, but I can't help but then question why I'm enjoying it. Mm -hmm. I think that this is the, I mean, so this concept I'm about to describe permeates everything. It's everywhere. It is part of the pillars that uphold society and the structures of power that exist now and throughout time is this fundamental truth that a structure of power has to be supported. And in order to do that, it has to be palatable. So, you know, whether you're talking about a, dictator who has total control, you think, but really what they have is a system where they dole out power to other powerful people who are then willing to say, okay, no, I'll I'll let you continue to be the dictator as long as I keep getting the kickbacks, right? There's always a balance. There's always a give and take. There is no such thing as singular authority, singular power. And so when there are structures that are society-wide and cultural, not just political patriarchy and white supremacy, those structures uphold themselves by finding ways to be palatable. And so 100 years ago, patriarchy makes itself palatable by saying, no, but women get to get off sinking ships first, (laughs) right? So that's what you get. And we're going to create a scenario in people's minds where it's actually separate but equal. Sure, the genders are treated differently and you don't get to own property and you have to ask me for permission to apply for a credit card. But 
you get a bunch of things that men don't get. Like, you'll get the door opened for you. Yeah, oh. you'll get the door opened for you. That's and so nice, isn't it? And you have a slightly <laughs> lower chance of dying in a shipwreck. Now we're square. And creating these stories, <laughs> creating these stories that help make an unequal system palatable to enough people is what helps perpetuate them. Because if you didn't have those stories, if you said, okay, we're going to have patriarchy, men get literally every benefit and women get literally no benefit, then all of the women would be opposed and a huge chunk of the men would be opposed because they would see the injustice and not want to buy into that. And so that's why systems of power don't look like that. They don't feel like that. And so, Dion, I think what you're describing, this sort of like balance give and take between what are the seemingly far ends of Tucker Carlson on one side and Disney on the other, is this invisible hand of the power structure market that helps create the palatable stories that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel okay about a system of power, which is fundamentally unjust, but it feels kind of just because Disney got rid of that racist guy on the animatronic ride. So that's progress, right? Mm-hmm. Placating the masses. Absolutely. Another aspect of that is that Disney's going to own all the access or not just Disney, but the, the four major corporations are going to own all the vehicles for storytelling. So telling better stories that would make it less palatable won't even be an option mm -hmm. and is, is already becoming pretty close to not being an option now. This was a part that it was on uh, media roots from a few years ago. Robbie Martin was talking to man. I, I think his name is Leslie Lee, the third. And he was talking about how the Marvel extended universe, which is owned by Disney, all the movies kind of look the same. They all have different directors and like, you know, they'll have a, a black man, Ryan Coogler directed black Panther and, and they've had women directors, but all the movies still look the same because they're not actually mm -hmm. directors. They're not actually in charge. The title of a director really is just a title in that scenario. The product has already been decided. It's been produced by the corporation. Right. They have an idea of the way it wants to look. This is how it's going to look. We'll put your name on screen on the, big screen, you get to sit in the chair and maybe you can make some decisions, but ultimately the story that we want told is going to be the one that gets told. And that's why yeah. every single one of those movies ends the same way with a CGI fight and blue lasers and all this other nonsense, because <laughs> they don't really want a system of power brought down in these movies because they are the system of power. As an introduction to this next topic, just a quick question, kind of like poll, you guys, you can answer verbally or just raise your hands. Who here believes in fish? <laughs> that, they, that they exist? I believe fish exist. I used to. Okay. Okay. So, so Dion and Aaron raised your hands. That's, that's embarrassing for you. Um, <laughs> so let's hear this. Darwin has his sins and he's complicated, but what really shocked me reading On the Origin of Species and rereading it and reading it with a pen 
was just how clearly he warns against ranking. And he says that hierarchies and even categories at all, even edges in nature, and this is what really blew my mind, that those are fabrication of the human mind. They're superimposition. They're a proxy. Edges. What do you mean by edges? That there are not hard lines even between species. One of the things he really hammers, this gets a little technical, but it's cool. One of the things that taxonomists say is that two different species can't create fertile offspring. And he just shows time and time again these examples where actually two different supposed species do create fertile offspring. There aren't the hard lines around species or around genera or going further up the tree, phylum even, that that is a human way of parsing the world to feel safer in it. There's more to come. Don't worry. We're heading towards a discussion about the gender binary. Any any comments so far about about the hard lines between species? Um, So this actually reminds me of... So when I first started undergrad, I was a biology student. I quickly changed to psychology. I took about three or four biology classes before I actually switched. And then I took a woman's studies class. And what we talked about in that woman's studies class is the way that biology text reads, that they put these adjectives on things that shouldn't have them. And part of it is gender. So one of the starkest example was talking about reproduction how the egg is described in these passive terms, whereas mm. sperm is described in aggressive manner. They're, they're <laughs> leaders. They're able. And, you know, I kind of laughed. And then I went to my biology text. And it was like time and time again, you saw things that it was uncomfortable to realize the gendered language that was used around them. But because of our human minds, the perception of it was there and the biasy of whoever wrote it is there. So they see what they want to see, right? But they can only see it through that biased human lens. All right, let's hear some more. One of the big reveals in your book comes in the title, Fish Don't Exist. Tell me what you meant by that. So this is this amazing revelation in the biological community that taxonomists realized in about the 80s. And it goes back to the Darwin thing, that actually the edges in nature are not there. This group of scientists called cladists came along and... Before you get into it, why are they called cladists? So cladists is Greek for branch. Mm. um, And it is the branches of the tree of life that they are interested in looking at accurately. Not based on this human-centric sense of what goes together. Um... You could lump together anything that has stripes, and there'd be zebrafish and zebra and those little furry uh, caterpillars. But that is not a scientifically meaningful category of creatures if you're trying to group things in terms of how they're related. So this is the whole puzzle of taxonomy. How do you decide who is closest to whom? And so around the 80s, the Claytists kind of stumbled across this idea that certain characteristics give you better clues. So they'd say... You know, look, we got to not be distracted by things like skin or fur. We have to look deeper at the bone structure and the organs. So they would say, I'm going to hold up an image of a cow, a salmon, and a lungfish. Lungfish looks like a pretty fishy fish, scaly tail. Which of these two things are most closely related? And inevitably, a biology student would raise their hand and say, "Uh, the salmon and the lungfish. 
You know, they're both fish. They swim in water. That's my guess. Um, and then slowly, the cladis would reveal why this isn't true. And they'd say, well, look, both the lungfish and the cow have lungs. They both have this thing called an epiglottis, which is this little flap of skin that goes over the throat that kind of came along later in time. And they have a more similarly structured heart. You can't deny that actually a cow and a lungfish are more closely related to one another than a lungfish and a salmon. And what that means is that, okay, you know, if you want to keep fish together, you'd have to include a cow in there and a human and a bird. You could keep all fish together, but then it's it's more like the word vertebrate, like it's so broad that actually the more mm -hmm. scientifically sound thing to do is admit that fish is not a legitimate grouping of creatures that aren't actually close. And you can see it's very naturally carved out by the water. You know, we just think they're they have these tails and they have these fins and so they're all fish but that is obscuring a greater truth that there are things down there that are more closely related to us than to one another my sincere hope is that you emerge from this story not only understanding and hopefully believing that idea but carrying it around with you as a reminder to have more doubt in all categories around you there's actually more to come on that just a little bit more but any thoughts at this point sounds super buddhist like where everything's connected, like there's the only separation is, is, is imaginary. Like, are you your feet? Are you, are you your arms? Are you your hands? Not really. Are you the air? Like if mm -hmm. you zoom in close enough, what's the separation? There isn't really any, that's it's pretty interesting, but fish do exist, but they don't. Right. <laughs> Depends how you categorize. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. like, Maybe you carve out a section that could be fish, but I don't know. I don't know what the definition is anymore. It kind of yeah. screws with your mind. <laughs> this just, to me, strikes a chord about gender and our understanding of it. I would say a good percentage of the population thinks there's two genders, at least in regards to sex. In reality, there aren't. There never have been. There never will be. We more have a conformity society where if you happen to be intersex or an other gender, uh, you're expected to conform or choose one so that you fit into that box. So I, I like what she's saying. I'm very interested to see where this goes. I have more comments, but I'll save them. All right, we'll finish up then. With intuition comes a certainty of you know what's good for you. You know what you're bad at. You know what's scary. All these things. And when you can just suppress it a little and say, maybe, but let's go investigate. I have continued to be wowed by surprises and things that existed outside of my intuition or my certainty. One of the biggest marvels was meeting my now wife and still thinking she's younger than me, she's shorter than me, she's a girl. That's not what keeps me safe. That's not what is a mate. You know, these kind of silly criteria took a second to let go of. I mean, it was mostly guided by how freaking delightful she is to be around and how fun she makes the world. But I think there was a little bit of all this research in there um, because I met her toward the end of writing this. And I think she was this huge, clear gift of, of what you can welcome in when you do that. Lulu Miller is co-host of Radiolab and author of the book, Why Fish Don't Exist. That's really sweet. This reminds me of the first time I really heard information that I had not previously thought about 
or just like had this aha moment. We were talking about gender differences and how they're all societal. They're all structured by our society. And there was like a lot of pushback because people use like physical differences as the biological explanation of the difference between men and women. So a lot of it will come down to their physical ability. So I remember sitting in this class and it was just pretty much everybody had this understanding that men had more upper body strength. They were just stronger innately. And then my professor went and talked about like the history of things and how historically in families, uh, when there's low food supplies, men were automatically given more food than women. And even today you see that there's actually encouragement for, you know, teenage boys who are going through puberty. Oh, you know, they, they have to eat large quantities of food. Never a question if that's actually healthy, um, if they're, you know, getting proper nutrition, but it's always just expected that they're going to eat more. So then we were discussing the idea of physical strength being gendered in general, like what you work out on. So when you look at the gyms, there's more of a concentration on men building upper body strength, whereas it's not seen as necessary for women. And actually it's discouraged because you're unattractive if you have too much muscle in your arms. So those differences, I remember like pull-ups, the boys in our class were encouraged to try to do as many pull-ups as possible. Whereas the girls, we just had to hang there. Like that was literally your instructions. Just hang there. We're going to time you. I don't know if anyone's explicitly said, don't try to do a pull-up, but I know that was not part of the instruction. It was literally to hang there. Um, So I, I think when we have conversations about gender, it is really hard to let go of constructs that we've been sold on. Because I have heard, I think it came from like Joe Rogan or something like that, where he's like, you know, you take 50 men, take 50 women, throw a baseball, the men are still going to be able to throw it further. It's like, yeah, but you can't undo the history of our evolution. Like we have evolved to have differences, but those differences didn't necessarily come from our biology. They most definitely came from our societal structure. I was thinking Joe Rogan the entire time you were talking, Aaron. (laughs) He is just filling people's heads with like the most 1950s bullshit bro. And that is it for today's sample of this week's bonus episode. And I got to be honest, recording these bonus episodes is the most fun I have each month. Twice a month, we get together, we talk about really interesting things and have a good time. And I know what you're thinking. That may speak poorly of you as a person who doesn't have very much fun. And look, that's also true. But it doesn't negate the fact that the bonus shows are also genuinely fun. We work very hard to make it worth your while to sign up as a member because, of course, it is the members who make the entire production of this show, all of the free episodes that everyone gets to enjoy without signing up, possible. So if you'd like to support our work and be richly rewarded with our bonus content, please sign up at bestoftheleft.com support. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.